Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Read as much as you possibly can, watch as much as you possibly can, chew up the meat, and spit out the bones. So what that means is find what's relevant to you, and then I always talk about, you got to figure out what motivates your dog. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. And it's that time of the week again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of GDIY. Joe is coming from Florida this week. Joe, what's happening down there? The bird hunting capital of the world, South Florida. (laughs) Is it already hot and humid down there? It's actually not too bad. Um, There is a... you know, it's it's like mid seventies. Not a lot of pheasant, not a lot of quail. There's a lot of snowbirds, though. There's a lot of snowbirds. That's Still? My, I figured they'd already be gone by now. No, they don't leave until after Easter. But that's my dad joke for the uh, the night. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, well, you know, with you visiting family down in Florida, we're going to keep this short and sweet. So uh, let's just go ahead and tell everybody what we have this week. We have uh, Bridget Nielsen on the line this week we're talking about how to make the most of your training day with navda 
and uh, may seem like kind of a generic topic, but it is there, there's a lot of similarities between a lot of chapters on people attending the, the training days and perhaps not getting the most out of the opportunity for them. But also there's there's a, a lot of chapters that may miss opportunities on helping uh, some some newbie people and mm-hmm. and really kind of showing them the right way. And, and they miss an opportunity on keeping people involved and, and attracting new people to get involved within the chapter. So there's a few different uh, aspects to that we cover throughout this episode. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've heard um, Bridget on, on other podcasts or, you know, one particular, and, you know, I've, that's, that's kind of, I love your interview style, Nick, because, you know, you could hear a guest somewhere else and that necessarily doesn't mean you're going to get the same exact in- information here. And that's kind of how, how it is here is it's totally different new information. So I thought it was a great episode, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. She she was a fun one, easy to talk to. And, you know, we, you can't have Bridget on and not talk a little bit about the Vishla and the Red Dog, right? So we so we touch on that a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, it's a good topic, especially for uh, early on in this year early this year and in the springtime and a lot of chapters kind of getting back rolling and getting training going and, and trying to make the most out of it. And uh, so hopefully there's some good information for a lot of people out there. Yeah. Well, Nick, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out real quick. Gotta give a shout out to our, our listeners because they have been going on, especially Apple podcasts. They have been really doing a great job of leaving reviews for us. Yeah. Like we said, help us out a lot. We're almost to 250, and that's because of you guys, so we really appreciate it. Um, but I do want to read a new one. Now, Go ahead, I, I, I don't know because if it's late on the East Coast right now or it's because uh, uh, I'm I'm in Florida and my, my uh, IQ's gone down a little bit since being in Florida. But I read this as uh, Grategus, uh, and now I'm realizing it's great, I guess. So, <laughs> the, so the, u- the username or handle or whatever you call it is great, I guess. And great, you're I guess. calling it Grategus. Hey, man, it could be Grategus. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it might be great, I guess. It might be Grategus. A testament oh, to the Florida public schooling system. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this one says, uh, gather valuable information from picking a breed to training a finished bird dog. This is not the generic beer drinking, telling tall tales, hunting podcast. Each episode is meant to bring knowledge to the listeners that may help them in their routines when training their dogs. This is a must listen for anyone who has made the decision to forego sending their dog to a pro and has instead decided not only train, but also build that bond with their dog. Heck yeah, man. That's what I'm talking about. Grategus, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> yeah, Grategus. Great, I guess. Whatever. Uh, you know, if you're listening this week, man, hit us up and we'll we'll shoot you a sticker. And and like you said, Joe, we I do want to thank everybody that kind of took us up on on the challenge last week to try and hit 250. We we came close. We fell a little a little bit short. So uh, we we didn't have to, you know. <laughs> kind of rush and figure out a giveaway that you that you randomly threw out there last week but uh man it, we, we kind of knew it was a long shot to hit that number last week but uh everybody you know we we did have an influx of reviews and ratings and so uh thanks to, for everybody and and if you haven't already done that then please help us out hit that five star leave a review uh, any critiques questions suggestions guest ideas topics whatever um, shoot it to us at gundogityourself at gmail.com and um, 
Yeah. Anything else, Joe? I, I know we're, we're skipping the tip of the week this week. Uh, you know, you got some family you got to get back to and everybody's came here to listen to Bridget. So we're going to get to her here in a second. I, th- I think that's it. You guys have a great week. Yep. Enjoy it. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another ugly dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. We are joined this week with Bridget Nielsen. Bridget, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm living the dream as always. Why don't you go ahead and start off by introducing yourself and, and kind of explain what we're here to talk about tonight. So uh, my name is Bridget Nielsen. I have uh, been uh, part of North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association activities, testing, and training for now 20 plus years. Uh, uh, when I started doing this, I bought my first dog and I had a, actually a job for the federal government working as a conservation biologist at that time and built headstrong uh, into training my dog and got in the hunting and then as time progressed you know moving around the country for my jobs um i ended up in montana and i recently retired there uh, a couple years ago from being a conservation biologist to take some time and you know kind of pursue my secondary avocation slash passion which is the dogs and um so now i'm doing some professional dog training but also raising my own puppies and you know my own visuals and then also uh doing uh, some judging for NAVDA as well and been a long time supporter of many different NAVDA chapters and helper and, you know, helping people train dogs and just been a part of the, uh, that great organization I call family from coast to coast. 
Fantastic. Yeah, your your experience with the NAVDA is going to come in handy with the subject we're here to talk to tonight, which is really just making the most out of out of your chapter's training day. Uh, but first, I, I got to ask have you have you always been with the Red Dogs since you got into this world, or or did you bounce around on a few different breeds before landing on the Vishla? No, I ended up with my first dog being a Vishla, and uh, got lucky enough to have uh, a superstar that did well in NAVDA. And um, it's really where I made some great friends and learned so much um, being part of the NAVDA organization and then also being part of training days at different clubs. And um, I did go to the dark side for a little while, got myself a German short hair, which has <laughs> been a great, you know, just a whole different experience. And I've trained some labs because um, we were big waterfowl hunters and it was nice to have a breed dedicated to waterfowl. So, you know, but my passion is Vigilas and, uh, those who know me call me the Red Dog Lady. I, I've got, I'm surrounded by five of them, and I absolutely adore the breed. Awesome, that's fantastic. So, I mean, real quick, I know that we're not here to talk about the breed, but it's not every day I get somebody that that is really as involved with a certain breed as you. Uh, you know, what are the the big qualities of Vishla that made you fall in love with it? What's their big selling point for you? Oh boy, the so first, it's obviously the short coat. Their warm weather tolerance, uh, but the biggest thing for me is their trainability and willingness to work for their owners. Uh, Even dogs that are bred with huge range and run um, always tend to want to work for their owners, and it really makes for exciting times hunting in the field with them. Um, I feel like I'm a part of a special club owning that that breed, Um, and uh, they're just a – I see a lot of people – when they do get a visual, if they've had other breeds, it's kind of a strange kinship we all have with that <laughs> breed. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting, but yeah, I, I do have a passion for the breed just mostly because of their personality and that desire to work for people. Yep. I say it all the time. There's a few breeds that like once people really get into them, like they, they don't really stray too far from that breed. Vishla is one of them. It's like once somebody gets their, their Vishla, you just see that, you know, they generally have an older one in the house and then a younger one coming back behind it. You don't see a lot of people get into the Vishla and then leave the breed and go somewhere else. Yeah, that. Yep, I see that as a lot, uh, a lot myself. Um, I one day I got a wild hair after I lost my first visual and got myself a German short hair, and she's been a joy. She's still with me, and I adore that dog. Uh, different, definitely different, um, but a really fun dog to hunt behind and a great contrast. Uh, for training and teaching me how to be a better dog trainer. Yeah. Uh, real, real quick, I know we came here to talk about a specific topic, but I got to ask with your short hair and Vishla, what's the biggest difference in your opinion when you're training both of them? And I know this is just generality speaking because every dog's different, but just generally speaking, what's been your experience and main difference in both breeds? Well, when you look at the NAVDA subset of tasks that we ask these versatile dogs to do, um, my experience with short hairs is that you have a lot better luck when you pull a puppy out of a litter to get that full package of traits, the water love, retrieve, you know, just natural uh, ability for versatile dog hunting comes into that short hair. And that's, in my belief, is because there's a larger gene pool and um, a lot of diversity in the breeding programs, which has led to really some great hunting dogs in that breed. I think Vigilas are um, great 
all around dogs, but they do have, you know, if you start to delve into the breed, you'll see that some lines have weaknesses and when it comes to water and some of it comes to actually uh, retrieve that I'm seeing. And then you see other lines that are fully rounded in it. And so when you feel like you get one of those, you feel like you hit the lottery um, with the breed. I think that's part of what draws people to the breed. Um, but I do, and I've enjoyed my short hair cause she's been so smart and so unbelievably versatile. She'll, she loves retrieving and hunting anything you want to put in front of her. <laughs> no, I, I agree a hundred percent for whatever that's worth, uh, to you. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree and can relate to everything you just said on both of them from my experience as, as an outsider with the Vishla, I've, I do have a short hair, but you know, it, it pretty much holds true for, for all the Vishlas I've come across and the Vishla owners that it's, uh, it's a special kind of kinship like you described between all Vishla owners. But uh, let's go ahead and dive on into the topic, which is how to make the most out of your NABDA training day. And for the and for the listeners out there, somebody might be asking, well, you know, just go show up to a training day and train your dog. You know, in your opinion, why is it so important to really dive deep on this topic and conversation about how we make the most out of a NABDA training day? So in today's uh, COVID puppy climate, um, there's a lot of people that are coming to hunting dog breeders and buying a sporting dog for the outdoor uh, benefits of owning a sporting dog. Um, And some are hunters uh, that are, you know, hunted before they bought the dog and then some are not, Um, which is good because what I'm seeing too is there's a new uh, indoctrination of new hunters coming through and especially through the NAVDA system with their new dog, you know, so it brings a whole new subset of people to the table. Um, but when you show up at a training day and it, a, a lot of times you're prepped with looking on a chapter's website and you see, okay, today they're going to work field work with natural ability puppies. And so you kind of, you know, you mentally are prepared to show up and get your puppy out on birds. And in some cases, and more and more, I think commonly, we're seeing a lot of owners show up and their pup has never even been introduced to a bird and they're 10, 12 months old. And um, so there's a whole learning curve for that new owner who hasn't trained a dog before, much less trained a hunting dog. And then um, even, I don't even think some of the owners understand how or where to get birds to try and introduce their dogs. And so, NAVDA bridges that gap. It's a wonderful place and, and um, uh, I've said segue to get new owners into getting their dog out. But the challenge with that as a new owner without knowing how to train a dog is when you show up, it's easy to kind of stand back and look at what's going on. And there's always a sage group, core group of people at a chapter that are helping a lot of the newer people. And those folks are spending their day out there with new puppy owners and um, inexperienced dog training, sporting dog owners out there teaching them how to get out and point, search, and find birds. And so what ends up happening is a lot of times the new owner shows up not knowing what to do. They go, where should I go? And somebody says, hey, come with me. And their dog gets put on a check cord and you go out into the field and suddenly your puppy's pointing something and you had really no involvement in understanding how that happened. And then you walk out of the field and you're like, well, that was fast. 
<laughs> and then you, yeah, you stand off to the side and you're like, wow, well, I'll watch this other dog. And you may watch to a couple other puppies that you had a conversation with their owners in the parking lot with. Um, and then the day's over. Yep. So the, where I really picked up on this is, you know, I spent a lot of time out in different chapters in California, Nevada, Oregon, Montana, um, and then now South Dakota and Idaho. I've been a lot of different places where I see a commonality in that. And it's an effort by the chapters wanting to help new owners just get their pups out yep. and immediately get them on birth. But what I do see is a lot of new owners not being involved in the moment where they understand what's going on. They're involved from the standpoint they're in the field with their dog, but they don't understand what's happening. Absolutely. Um, so, and yeah, so what I've seen with a lot of new puppy owners for me, like last year I had a couple litters and a lot of those people on those litters had, they were hardcore hunters. They knew how to introduce a bird to dog or a bird to a puppy, but they were not knowledgeable about an ABDA. And when they showed up those training days, they kind of felt lost and a little bit, they would call me and go, so what am I supposed to do? And so my advice to all of them was have a plan. Yeah. No, and I, I'm, so I'm glad you said that because, you know, it really, as you're breaking this all out and, you know, you pretty much mentioned like all the Western chapters, but being over here on the East coast, it's the same down here with all the chapters I've kind of visited. Uh, is it, it really is a responsibility of both, the, the handler as well as the chapter. There's kind of two different sides of this, and, and, and there's things that you can improve on. There's pros and cons to both sides. So what you're talking about right now is handler, how a handler can can go about to develop that plan and, and help themselves get started and kind of catch up on the why, correct? Absolutely, yep. So, you know, when you say develop a plan – how should a new handler say this is the first time a handler is going out and it is their first puppy. It's their first time going to a NAVDA training. They, they don't know anything. How can they go about developing a plan prior to them going to the NAVDA training day when most of them are going to the NAVDA training day to try and figure out a plan, if that makes sense? So that's how I got started. I showed up at a chapter training day one day and had my little puppy and he went out and pointed a bird with a more experienced handler. I was there for it. And I'll never forget that day because that beautiful dog pointed this bird he'd never smelled before, a pigeon. And for some crazy reason, I thought the dog, when they asked me, is the dog gun conditioned? I said, oh, sure. He's conditioned to loud noises. Mm-hmm. And so we shot a bird for him. Well, fortunately, that dog was bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> And he had not been properly conditioned to guns, but he ran out and he picked up that pigeon and came back with it. And this handler handed me my dog back and said, now you let that puppy carry that bird all the way up to the truck and then we'll talk afterwards. And okay. I was involved, but I wasn't. And I didn't understand what happened. And, and now that I know what I know, I never would have let them shoot over my dog right. because he hadn't really properly been introduced to the bird. But not knowing, I just said yes. Yep. And I got lucky. Um, And I see a lot of that. I think a lot of people get lucky. I also see a lot of um, not getting lucky too. But um, when I finished that, that gentleman came up to me and he said, because we talked about training and I was kind of mystified. I said, well, tell me a little bit about how I can learn about this. And in those days, there was no Instagram, no Facebook, (laughs) no sitting around on chat rooms and, you know, on the internet. 
Mm-hmm. It was you opened up book. Yep. And so he said, I want you to go find as many dog training books as you can find, chew up the meat and spit out the bones. And I said, okay. So I went home and that's exactly what I did. I consumed dog training books like candy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess maybe like people consume Netflix videos today. I think it was the same. Yep. Yeah, the same rate, you know. And so I had, I still have all these books from that period of time. But well, um, go go ahead, I not to it. interrupt you. Go ahead and list out a few of your favorites because that's one of the the number one things I get asked all the time is what are some books that you would recommend. Go on, and spit out a few of your favorites over the years. So um, Paul Long has a great book on just it's just about naturally handling your dog, um, and it's got a short hair on the cover and you can find it on www.dogwise.com. Um, Joan Bailey wrote a couple of books. One was for puppy introduction and it was how to train your dog to be a versatile hunting dog. Yep. It definitely focused on the Griffon, but the book itself is so informative and so easy read for a new owner that I recommend it to all my puppy owners. Um, in the back of that book, there's actually a calendar that talks about a time frame for what to be doing with your puppy. And what I love about it is that it can slow down the overambitious folks and it can also motivate those who don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah. Um, without a lot of pressure, it's all positive experiences shaping your dog's hunting future. And then the second book Joan Bailey wrote was How to Have the Best Trained Gun Dog. Um, which is more advanced training um, and talking more about the utility test. Um, and then today's more current books, you know, Bob Ferris wrote a book recently, Breeding and Training Versatile Hunting Dogs yeah. um, for Hunting and Hunt Test. That's a really a go-to for a lot of people. There's the NAVDA Green Book, which is a go-to for a lot of people. That is found on the NAVDA website. Um, I personally, at that time, dug into videos, um, and it was VHS. <laughs> now you get half the stuff. For free on YouTube and yep. there's these wonderful resources on YouTube to go to, to introduce yourself to it. Some you have to pay for and some you don't, but, um, my favorite videos that I taught my dogs to force fetch off of was by Jim Dobbs. And, um, it's a two part series. One's a, a hold video and the other one's a training the fetch video. And, uh, Navda used to carry that actually on their store. Um, yep. but I think, I don't think they make that on DVD these days. So anyway, I, I do know that half of that is for free on YouTube. Nice. <laughs> you know, nice. You at least get the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there and you go. There, there you go. Listeners, you, you got a nice list there. So go buy all the books and then, you know, leave the, the messages to me alone for about a week on what books and videos to watch. Uh, uh, all right. So Bridget, back to your example, because what your, your example of you personally going to the chapter, it, it's a great example because I see it all the time being as involved in the chapter as I am down here. I, I, I've kind of turned into the, the new person puppy kind of intro guy at my chapter. And to your, your example is I don't know if it's so much that the people, that show up uh, are necessarily afraid to say no. Like for your example, when a guy says, is your dog gun broke? Well, yeah, yeah, it's gun broke. It's, you know, it's heard loud, loud bangs and stuff. 
I'll ask this people that, and I still start off slow with, you know, maybe a popper or 22 or something way back in the distance just to find out because you do find a lot of new people getting involved. It is kind of like they just, they either don't know or they're intimidated to say they don't know or, or whatever. And, you know, it, it's really, you need, need to kind of have the knowledge before you can have the confidence to speak up and say, Hey, what am I doing here? Like, what is the purpose of this training? Exactly. So that's an interesting point you bring up. And I do believe what I've seen in some chapter environments is like uh, you get some folks that are standing around the parking lot chatting and they all have a, let's say a common breed or they've mm-hmm. found a commonality instantly. And one guy sees somebody else's puppy go out and get a bird shot for them. Yeah. And so it's very easy to go, well, my dog can do that. Yep. I, I've done that myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? My dog can do that. <laughs> and then you go out and you do that. And oops, whoa, what happened? And I think you make an excellent point on the chapter side of it, having an experienced person like yourself taking a step back and recognizing when a dog isn't introduced to the gun or maybe that the folks don't understand yeah and, um, and it's not that i'm necessarily calling the people a liar it's just like all right i'm gonna do what i call a sanity check because i have had the person like you described when i first started helping out oh yeah it's gun broke and then you fire over him and the dog goes you know tail between his legs hauling butt back to the truck or something and it's just like well it doesn't hurt to do a quick just test run, especially if I'm not familiar with you or your dog, or I know this is like your first time and you get a lot of people that just go out there and yes, yes, yes. They don't want to say no or that they don't know. Right. It's just, that's how people are kind of wired for some reason. Oh yeah, exactly. And so it's really easy to kind of fall into that pattern. And um, for new owners that show up, they're pretty excited about, seeing their pup be a superstar and especially if they've never experienced the pointing dog's natural ability Mm -hmm. Uh, it is amazing to watch a new person come into the hunting field and experience this amazing talent that these dogs have Mm -hmm. and they're i love watching new handlers faces light up (laughs) it's just it's the position you're holding in your chapter i love that position because it's fun to work with people and see that moment of discovery of this animal that they bought. And it's like, my dog does this. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's, yep. I love that part of it. The first time their dog goes on point, it's, a, I mean, it, it, it's the same reaction every time from people. And it just, it, it is why you do it because, you know, let's, let, let's be honest, bird intro, gun intro, it, it can get kind of monotonous, but what never gets old is seeing that, that first time dog owner go out there with their dog and see it slam a point for the first time. It just, it, it, it's the same reaction from everybody, but it, it never gets old. So I, I want to jump into like you just mentioned, develop a plan, read the books, watch the videos. You know, there's a ton of homework that you can do as a first time handler or really handler, no matter how many dogs you've had to develop your plan. But specifically on the first time owner, you know, as well as I do, there are some things that you can read and watch on a video a million times and you're really not going to grasp it until you're out there in the field and you see it just firsthand, right? You see that dog make the mistake or you see it be successful. Then it kind of clicks on the why. So no matter how good of a plan or your best intentions, you're going to show up and there are going to be certain things that you are unaware of. How is it, you know, what can a chapter 
or you know the person helping out the new handler how can they go about really kind of explaining to them while they're doing it you know we i think a lot of chapters have a hard time like you said they just grab the dog and start doing the training for them and they don't really explain what's going on while they're doing it oh yeah exactly it's really easy to get into that pattern especially if you're a, a chapter with a ton of people in it and you know saturday consists of 40 different handlers coming through with baby puppies you mm -hmm. know and so a lot it a little bit becomes a treadmill right you just right. jump on and go and so it's really easy to get in that pattern. But uh, when I'm out there with new owners, um, you know, I'll, I will ask those questions. Has your dog ever smelled a bird? Has your dog ever retrieved a dead bird? Has your dog ever seen a live bird walking around on the ground? And I'll kind of dig a little bit to find out what experience the dog has and then what experience the owner has. Usually people don't have much in the way of book smarts in terms of having read the books. I think today where a lot of people are gaining a lot of information is on the internet with Instagram and then with also YouTube. Yep, yep. So we, we do have a lot of puppy buyers that are watching those things, but in the end you can watch a thousand videos, but the only way you're really going to learn is hands on, get out there and go with your dog. Yep. So, you know, what I'll do is literally take somebody through the field with, I'll go with them, instruct them how to handle their dog, how to read the wind the big thing about new owners and birds and teaching new puppies is how to read the wind. Um, if you don't know which way the wind's blowing, you don't know which way to walk with your dog. And yeah. if you don't know which way to walk with your dog, it's likely not to find the bird. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially as for a young, young puppy, it's really important for success to happen in that field. And so I'll teach a lot of people about, okay, which way is the wind blowing? Okay, so we know a bird's over there, you know, and I'll, we'll end up working three or four birds in a field, especially if we have homing pigeons. And you get a chance to teach them throughout that walk how to get their dog into it, how to handle their dog when the dog does smell it and point it, and not to immediately try to control the dog, let the puppy's natural ability come out. Um, I try to coach them that way. But then when we finish, I'll ask them, so what do you think about your next visit? And they'll kind of look at me and, well, I kind of want to come back and do this next week. <laughs> okay. So what do you think you want to improve on? And so then when I ask those questions, those, when I get to blank stairs, <laughs> then I'll say, okay, go put your puppy back in its crate and let it think about what just happened. And you come on back out and grab the bird bag and you're going to help plant birds. Yep. And the reason why you're going to do that is you're going to understand how the wind's blowing. I want you to think about how the scent is being carried and how the next dog handles that bird. Yep. And we'll do a rotating thing where you handle your dog, you run them through the field, then you go back in, take your dog in, somebody hands you a bird bag, you plant the birds for the next owner uh, or the third owner. You know, it's like every third owner type thing. Yeah. They help plant the birds, then they help go out in the field and they help watch these other dogs. Yes. And then I'll push them to ask them questions about, so now what's your plan? And after they see enough of the other dogs working, I think that's the key about where people learn something. Exactly. Being in the field. Exactly. I'd say that 
all the time till I'm blue in the face, especially with new new people coming out to the chapters. I tell I ask them, do you think you're going to learn more by the 10 or 15 minutes that you're out in the field with your dog? Or are you going to learn more by the four or five hours that you're in the field with numerous other people and their dogs and seeing the, the methods that they're doing and how they're doing it and how it responds to their dogs? It's you have an opportunity at training day to download so much information and 90% of it doesn't even involve your dog out of the vehicle. Well, so the beauty of NAVDA, and it's the very reason why I love the organization so much, is it's a volunteer organization founded on the goodwill of others helping others train their dogs. Yep. You know, and so in with that comes good and bad. The good is you get a lot of help from people who've been around the block, trained dogs for 20, 30 years, and they can provide some great insight. Likewise, you can also come up against people who know only a little bit and impart their expert advice. You oh, know? Yeah. oh, yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's two sides of it. But in, at the end, if you're out in the field, forming your own opinion, helping other people get out there and put their dog on the, do- on the birds, and then spending time having that conversation afterwards, that's where the learning happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. So walk us through, you have that new person, they're starting to get it, you know, that, that they went out, they had their first session, they're figuring out, okay, I need to not be thinking about just today, but I'm thinking about next training day and so on and so forth. How do you get them to go at the pace of their own dog? Because you know, as well as I do, you know, the first time they see their dog on point, you, you, you kind of have a mixed reaction. You have some people that literally will want to slow down and just keep doing that over and over and over and over again. And then you have the other person that just wants to go from that first point to invitational the next day, right? Like you, you have usually two different reactions, either too slow or too fast. So how, how can a new person really understand how to go at the pace of their own dog? So that's a really good point. And so here's another book that I absolutely love. And he talks about the development of a bird dog. And Maurice Lindley is a professional dog trainer down in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, he is magic with dogs. And he's got a great book called Training with Mo. Mm-hmm. And um, you can buy it on the Steady with Style website. Great book to read. I love that book because it really talks about developing a young dog and when those benchmarks are to push them further. Um, and his, I, I like to call myself, you know, I'm, I'm a absolute, my, my most important thing about how my dogs look on point is they better look good doing it. And that means I want to make sure they're intense, convincing, and unmistakable yep. when they're on point. That's the first thing. And then second, I want to be inspired. <laughs> I want to be ex- inspired about that is exciting. I'm going to be totally pumped about hunting with this dog. And so those are my personal dogs. And even I, I, I expect that out of dogs that are client dogs as well. Um, and so what that means is the training that goes into it. And where that comes from is it's about pacing. You got to pace the dog to its own maturing stage. Some puppies mature fast, look like little prodigies at 16 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> And you can have a, an ambitious handler and not make any mistakes. 
But if you get a young dog that is not going to mature till it's nine, 10 months old, mature in the sense that it really gets birds, that is starting to throw some style into it. You have to be very careful not to overdo things with a young dog like that. Yeah. And um, if you get an overambitious owner and they're not equally matched with the dog's uh, ability to mature through being a hunting dog, they, you know, you can kind of take the fun out of it for the young hunting dog. So um, I always talk about that with people. And, you know, in, in when I go out in the field with their young dog, I'm looking at where's this puppy at? Is this puppy going to be a beast and after birds and, you know, retrieving things and pointing things really hard at five months old? Or is this puppy going to be a puppy puppy till he's a year old? There's, yeah. you know, and I very much talk about that with my, you know, the people that we go out and feel with just because it's so important in being able to keep trainability up for the future. Um, and I talk about that with the handlers you know, what's your future goals with this dog? Yes. Some already have in their mind, they want a utility dog. Yeah. No. So that's a lot. <laughs> I, I think that's a very important question that, that not a, all the owners ask themselves is what is your goals with this dog? And, and to your point, a lot of people, their goals really are testing related, but there are a lot of people that their goals aren't even testing related, but they're hunting related. And so, you know, you kind of have a mixture of different people and they can't overlap. Of course, you know, people that hunt want to test and people that test want to hunt and so on and so forth. But I, I, I think coming from my perspective and the different chapters I've gone to is really like, that's the biggest thing that stands out to me when, when you go to the NAVDA training days is you have a lot of people that they want to help. They're so enthusiastic to help, but you get caught up into a lot of people helping in terms of training for the next test instead of training for the task. How do you balance that out as, as a chapter member trying to help new people out, but also as a new person, like how, how is a new person supposed to really know the difference of that? Uh, that's a great point. So that how do you filter out the hundred different people's information coming to you mm -hmm. about how you should train your dog? Right. Yes. So um, that's where I have my conversation with puppy owners that have called me and said, Hey, I went to this NAVDA training day. It was really fun. And, but everybody's telling me, somebody's telling me this and somebody's telling me that, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Drinking from the and fire I hose. Say, oh, it's, it is hard, right? It's, yeah. You've got all these experts that you feel like you know nothing. And then all of a sudden you've got all these experts telling you how to do things and it's 20 different ways. Yeah, exactly. And that's where my advice comes very much in the same ver verbiage that my friend Willie told me 20 something years ago. Read as much as you possibly can, watch as much as you possibly can, chew up the meat and spit out the bones. So what that means is find what's relevant to you. And then I always talk about, you got to figure out what motivates your dog. Not all dogs are motivated by the same thing. Some are motivated only by birds. Yep. Some are motivated by food. Some are motivated by just you being happy. Yes. You know, some, some are motivated for only their own self. And you can see that and you have to understand that as a handler. And if you can tap into that at the heart of the dog, then it will help you form a training program. Yep. And you, you literally just described, I read a book a couple months ago and of, of course I'm on the, you know, I'm three books past it. So I cannot remember the name of this book, but she described it as 
three different drives. You can sum up dogs' drives three different ways. You have your prey drive, which is what you said with the bird drive. You have your food drive, which is, you know, pretty basic food drive. But then you have your pack drive, the the dog that wants to make you have happy. You have to know what drives your dog so that you can reward the dog correctly and effectively to where you're really training and striving for what you're wanting to in the long, long goal. Exactly. Yes. And I think that's, I, I we probably read the same book, um, <laughs> you know, and, and people, when I started in this game, people joked with me about my bag of cut up hot dogs, <laughs> you know, I mean, in those days it was a little different mindset. It was a little bit more traditional lab training, yeah. um, type concept. Um, but you know, things have changed and there's a lot different ways to train a dog these days. And, that's the hard part as a new owner. It's like, where do they start? And, mm-hmm. um, especially if they've got a breed like a Vigla or a wire-haired pointing Griffon where the breed description and standard reads something like dog is sensitive, harsh training will not <laughs> work. Yeah. You know, those kinds of statements. And so, you know, people tend to knee jerk reaction and they don't ever tell their dog no as well. So yep. there's, you know, those, contrasts and um usually you know i can usually help people instantly at at a training day when i see if the dog is you know looks like a fish at the end of the leash (laughs) you know or does it sit quietly with them um then you can always tell what's going on in that dog's head based on the level of action on that leash. Yep. And what you said is it's a great reminder. And we kind of spoke about it at the beginning of this when we were talking about generalizations on dog breeds. You know, it's there's a lot of stereotypes with these breeds and those stereotypes may stem from, you know, a common observance. And and, you know, there might be a little bit of truth to there, but you cannot forget that each dog is its own individual and every dog within the breed is different. And, you know, there might be some commonalities, but, you know, every dog is completely different on how they perceive pressure, how they react to pressure, and what drives them. So you really need to figure out your do- your own individual dog and, and really figure out what makes it tick. So what I uh, send a lot of my puppy owners home with is a book called Super Puppy. And if you look it up on Amazon, it's got a yellow cover. It's a $7.95 pamphlet is what it is. Mm. But the reason why I send people home with that book Uh, It has a lot of basic foundation training for young dogs, and I think it applies beautifully to our sporting dogs and our versatile dogs uh, for developing pack dynamics and finding the motivation of your dog, um, but also getting them to understand who the leader is. Mm Because once they reach that eight-month-old stage, they're kind of unruly. They're big. They can be stronger. They can do what they want, and that can affect your ability to train. Yes. And it affects your ability to get through a NA test. Yep. Well, speaking of NA tests, I want to get your take on this at being with, with your experience and knowledge in NAVDA, with your experience as a breeder and your experience as a trainer. What give us your take on the NA test and the correct time to test your dog in NA? So, oh boy. So that's a loaded <laughs> question. Yes, it is. Again, it is about the dog. My personal feeling about how I even breed and sell my puppies, I 
I don't like breeding puppies late in the summer because what that means is that puppy is going to miss that first hunting season. It, mm-hmm. it won't be really old enough to have birds shot for it unless you live far south. Yeah. Um, so this, I, you know, I can speak to Vigilas and very, very vehemently about Vigilas. And I think this applies to some of the other breeds, but not all of them. There are other breeds that are prodigies at young ages and you can do great things with them. Um, but Vigilas in general, if you take a four-month-old Vigila out and try to shoot a gun over it, even if it's been gun intro, it, you, you may have challenges. And you're talking about a baby puppy that has a lot of maturity to go. So what I try to do as a breeder is sell puppies to people that are going to be spring puppies, that they have that opportunity to get them out on birds, gun condition them in the spring, hunt them through the fall, where a lot of basic natural ability comes to the table. Mm-hmm. Things like tracking, particularly those of us that hunt pheasants, your young dog can learn how to track without any interference or training from you just by hunting wild pheasants. Yep. Um, and that goes for sharp-tailed grouse as well. Um, and I think some of the other grouse species, prairie chickens and that sort, can help train that as well. Um, I think developing range, confidence at that range, and then also developing point on wild birds really comes along beautifully during that first hunting season. And then swimming. If you put your dog in those situations, you're going to find out what that natural ability is for the puppy to swim. Um, and a lot of times, you know, if, if they're bred right, they're going to get out. If somebody shoots a bird over a pond and it lands in the water, it'll be one of those magical moments for the owner where the puppy goes out and gets the bird, you know, mm-hmm. and brings it back. Uh, and then I think the retrieving side of things, which isn't evaluated in natural ability, but I do believe it's a very integral part of training for utility. There has to be some natural desire to retrieve and bring it back to the owner. And you can evaluate that as you hunt. And then I always tell my puppy owners, you know, test them in the spring where they're about a year old. Uh, that's for the new owner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those who know what they're doing and have hunted over dogs and have trained enough dogs, um, they can push their puppies a little bit harder. And I've encouraged a lot of people to hunt or uh, to test their pups in NA and it's six months old. I personally like doing it at seven, six, seven months old, get it out of the way, then go hunting Mm -hmm. and then, then get into formal training later. But I have different goals and I'm, I kind of know where I can push a dog and where I can't as a new owner. My, my advice always is go out there, have some fun, let the puppy and you have a great season. Don't expect much. Don't shoot anything. The puppy doesn't point and we'll see what we get when it comes time to train for the NA test. And uh, then you go to the NA test. And I think the biggest advice I can give to anybody is teach the dog the recall command, you know, a hear or a come, mm-hmm. and that, that that is a must. You'll get a much better ability to get through NA if you have that one under your belt. Yep. Now, I agree with everything you said, uh, timing and everything. I'm right there on the same page with you. So... All right, let's get let's get back to the training day. We keep veering off of it, but let's get back to the training day. What other commonalities do you see that maybe makes it to where either the chapter isn't running as efficiently as it should or the handlers aren't getting as as much information or quality time as they should? You know, what are some of the big hiccups that you see uh throughout all these chapters that you've been to? What are some commonality uh, between each one that you think that people can improve on either from the handler or the chapter standpoint? So 
I'll just start off with the handler standpoint because it really comes back to that NAVD is a volunteer organization mm-hmm. and what we put into it individually, what we get out of it collectively. So when we put in the time individually to help others, not only are we going to learn, we may become one of those experts, but also other, other people will learn. So if you show up at a chapter that training day, you've run your dog, don't just get in the car and leave. Or don't just stand on the sidelines and chat, grab a bird bag, go plant some birds. You're going to learn more planting birds and following the next puppies behind you than you will standing in the parking lot. Yep. And if you watch dogs and you spend time out in the field, seeing how people are handling them and what they're doing, you will learn either a, what you want to do or B what you don't want to do. Exactly. Um, And I think that's the biggest part of this I can say, because Every chapter is well-meaning and intends to put on a great day for all new owners. Some do it one way and some do it another way. The best way for somebody to get the best day out of their their time spent is as a handler, show up, run your pup, whether it's being in the field or helping with tracking, you know, running pheasants out for people or being part of the, you know, bumper pickup at the water yeah help other people and if you see other dogs run you will learn more there than you will standing in the parking lot chatting absolutely and i'm gonna go ahead and caveat off that when you said go grab a bird bag and plant birds to that person sitting there thinking that you know when they go to the training day well i don't know how to plant birds or i don't know how to do this ask somebody Everybody is more than willing to help you and show you how to do anything. I've never once seen anybody at a NAVDA event or training day, test, whatever. If somebody says, how do I do this? They'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to go do it. I've never seen that happen. Everybody is always going to be like, come along with me. Let me show you how I do it. And then you know how to do it on your own next time. Absolutely. That is the... That's the beauty of this organization, and it doesn't matter whether you're in California or in South Carolina. When you walk into a chapter, that commonality reigns supreme. It's why I love the organization, because I don't feel that same kinship when I go into other uh, dog organization events. Yep. Uh, I love that I can walk in and kind of understand what's going on and jump in and help wherever somebody needs, and it's appreciated, and you're learning. Yes. So... You know, we've spoken a lot on what the handler can do and the handler responsibility of this because at the end of the day, it really is really heavy on the handler because I think a lot of people join a chapter, go to a training day, and they really start looking at it from a standpoint like, oh, I paid a membership, you are training my dog, right? And and it's unfortunate that that's kind of a side effect, but I've seen it happen way too often, and it's it's a it's a side effect of really what we talked about earlier somebody just grabbing the dog and training it for them it's just like yeah the dog might make strides but if you're not training the the individual handler then they're not going to learn but let's t- let's talk about some of the chapter responsibilities how can a chapter make it more welcoming or more informative uh you know you mentioned that there's there's a thirst for knowledge out there whether it's youtube facebook whatever you know chapter websites i don't know what what would you say is the best thing or the easiest thing that a chapter could change right now to help kind of influence that handler responsibility and enthusiasm amongst new handlers. So that is the tricky question 
amongst those of us that love to help others. Yes. We're out there leading and we're helping and you, we, we love it. But at the end of the day, what ends up happening when you're in those positions is you help 30 dogs get through the field or go swimming or tracking a pheasant and mm-hmm. your dog sat in the truck. Yep. So remembering that you showed up too to get your dogs out will help you get out and say, hey, Joe, I see you have a young puppy. Why don't I teach you how to plant birds? And you come along with me, and on the next three runs, you plant birds and give me a break. If we take the moment and time to educate others in that way, or, hey, so-and-so, I'm going to make you the, quote, the uh, field steward for the day, and you're going to help make sure that everybody stays in line and gets moving, okay? Mm -hmm. And you'll do the first third of the day, and -and so-and-so will do the second third, you know, and somebody else will do the third third. Just being able to rotate people through, it takes a little bit of time, actually more time it feels like sometimes to teach others than it does to just go take the dog out. Absolutely. But it is valuable in building our chapters and building camaraderie in our chapters, making people feel included. Yes. Uh, no matter what their skill level is, included, and then also that they're learning and enthusiastic about coming back. And those who truly are about being part of a chapter and giving back will stick around and do that stuff and be part of just the whole experience. And I love watching folks that have come along. They've been there for, you know, three training days with their NA puppy. They see great stuff happening with their puppy and they're like, hey, what's going on over there in that field? Well, that's where the utility dogs are training. Do you want to go learn that? And then you take them over and you start teaching them how to plant chucker kind of hot for a utility dog, or you're helping somebody shoot for their utility dog. You know, those skills and being able to build that chapter knowledge is more important than the best five chapter members because those best five chapter members only have so much love and time to give. And eventually it runs out and then they're tired and looking for somebody to take over. Yep. And it's, it's, I think it's called building the future. We got to continue to work hard to build our future. And that's including others, teaching them Uh, chapters have to slow down, take the time to teach others. I've seen some chapters uh, that are really skilled at that. They're so good at it that nobody gets out and runs a dog without volunteering somewhere on that day. Mm-hmm. And then there's other chapters that three people do all the work. Yes. No, and, and that's where burnout comes in. And, and you know, I've said it a bunch. Is, is it's, it's really important to pretty much just rephrase what you said is having the structure there within the chapter and having individual roles there set up to have people feel included. It is a lot easier for you to just, you know, grab the bird bag yourself and run it out there yourself. But you know what, if after doing that 10 to 15 times a day, you get kind of burned out and you're exhausted and then you don't get to train your dog. So yeah, it's really just creating that environment and structure for people to actually have something to do and learn how to do it so that they, like you said, you don't get stuck on just four or five members doing everything for years to come because that's when burnout comes and that's when chapters start, you know, not being as efficient as they should be. And we can expand that to the other hidden tasks that chapters do uh, that a lot of uh, new owners and young uh, puppy owners don't understand are going on. Things like test secretary duties, yes. things like judge 
uh, collecting the judges and getting them to a test site and the, all the little pieces that go into putting a test on and being able to include people, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask. Yes. And I think what I've seen in some chapters, like we've had uh, some folks that are just so well-meaning, they work so hard, but they beat themselves to a pulp to try and put on a test, but they don't ask for help. Yes. It's like, um, I'll help you. Can I help you? And if nobody volunteers to help them, they suffer in silence and that's not good either. So being able to support our chapters is key and and support those key leaders. uh, It's getting stuff is what's going to keep this game going. And I think what we see right now with like what I was saying earlier about the COVID puppy challenge that we're dealing with, with lots of people buying puppies and new owners coming to this game. Mm-hmm. Navda's growing at an epic rate. Yes, it is. We have to remember, slow down, include those new owners. Those are the future leaders of tomorrow. They will help us test our dogs when we're hobbling around with tired knees and <laughs> our last old dog to test. Yep. <laughs> Because that, that is the trick. Get them involved when they first come because you know as well as I do, so many people get involved because their breeder says, oh, go to NAVDA, you know, do the NA test. Well, it's amazing how if you don't get them involved very early on, after that NA test is run, all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. You know, a lot of people drop off after that NA level test. So it's very important to get them involved at a very early stage, like, I mean, as soon as they start showing up and then they get hooked and next thing you know, they're wanting to run utility. They're wanting to go to the invitational and they're wanting to get involved with the chapter and do all the, all the hidden jobs, you know, the thankless jobs is what I call them. Oh, absolutely. That, that, uh, hidden message you're showing there is I think so key. I've seen it years and years and years where we have a test we hold Three days, two of them are loaded with NA puppies. Those 85% of those folks, maybe 90, test their puppy and you never see them again. Yep. Is that a failure that we didn't communicate to them about how to train their dog to a further level? Did we not get them excited enough about maybe training a utility dog? Um, you know, those questions come up about why don't we have more dogs entered in utility preparatory tests? Yeah. What's going on there? So there's a lot of things, the conversation about how do we get people in the game, but then how do we keep people in the game? And um, that goes for whether it's hunting or, you know, I think really when you look at any facet of hunting, you look at duck hunters, Mm -hmm. um, you talk to Ducks Unlimited representatives, that will tell you every time we are losing the young folks coming in. They come in, they hunt a little bit, and then they feel overwhelmed. Hmm. Yep. And I've actually had conversations with people about that. Why? Well, it's because we're not spending the time to help them learn how to do it. Yeah. And this duck hunting is not an easy thing. It's not a gimme. It's, a, you know, going out and hunting pheasants or maybe sharp-tailed grouse a lot easier for most people than to take their versatile dog into the marsh, have the decoys, the blind, the waders, the dog stuff, all the stuff that goes along with that and be able to be successful at it. So it's slowing down and taking the time to mentor. And I think that's the, the key to our game is our chapters our responsibility is to slow down mentor but likewise our puppy owners and the folks that are coming through the game need to slow down and help volunteer and take some time to learn so that they do get excited about 
furthering their dog's career. Exactly. I mean, to your point, just on the duck hunt, you know, everything, whether it's a type of hunting or testing or training, whatever, there's a barrier for entry, right? And to your point, like duck hunting, it might be the equipment and the cost of the equipment. Uh, upland, it might be access or the lack of birds like we deal with down in the southeast. Training, the barrier for entry may be that you want to get involved, but there's not an opportunity to get involved because there's not a clear-cut structure or roles for them to get involved with. So everything, pretty much everything in my eyes boils down to lowering the barrier for entry. Don't make it super easy for them. You know, people still have to earn it right or else they're not going to care about it if this is given to them but you still need to make it to where it's accessible and the path is laid out for them and you know i think that's and like going back that's what a lot of chapters end up doing is they have those four or five people doing everything and it's very hard to get other people included and then especially if you have a fall test and you know a lot of chapters take a break during the winter and then come back in the spring you do that fall test and they don't have anything during the winter until that next spring odds are you're going to lose that person after the NA test oh my goodness I, it has never been more true than uh, the Montana chapters we have really work to make sure we don't test past September 1st so that we can all go hunting. Yeah. Because I mean, Montana is one of the best places to hunt in yeah, the country. So absolutely. we live there, you know, let's go hunting, but we don't talk to each other as a chapter from September 1st till uh, pretty much January 31st. Yeah. Uh, and then when we start talking, it's like, where were we, what are we doing? And then we try to get reorganized and all the people that tested their puppy on August 15th, they're long gone. Oh yeah. Yep. And that's back down to the five solid people that do the work and it can sometimes not be fun and um, it becomes a job and that's not what this is supposed to be. It's, you know, and so we, we've spent some time as those chapters have evolved, taking time, slowing down, trying to incorporate new people, teach them the ropes. Hey, you want to be a test secretary next test? Yep. Okay. You know, really sharing those burdens because it helps us grow as a chapter and and it also brings up tomorrow's breeders. Yes. You know, in a strange and odd way, a lot of times, you know, where did I get started? I had a random dog I bought who turned out to be a NAVDA superstar. And I hunted like a crazy woman over it. <laughs> I got so hooked. I got into the breed and I, now I've been owned by 12 Vigilas of my own personal <laughs> owning. And here I sit, you know, and so... I, it's so important to bring up those new people that, and include that is them, a great point i don't think i've ever really thought of it that way we're not only you know raising up the next handlers or trainers but we're also raising the next breeders which is you know the dogs of the future we're not only creating the the dog people of the future but you really are in a way creating the dogs of the future just by getting people involved in the in the circuit that you really appreciate and, and that you love right Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really why I'm so passionate about it and enjoy every day I get out with the dogs and the people. Yep. Well, that's a great point. Bridget, I mean, what what else is there? What else are we missing that, you know, you think that we need to to hammer that nail a little bit more? Well, I I think we've covered almost everything except for how to solve world peace, but <laughs> we can work on that the next time. I'll I'll leave that for another podcast. I'll just stick with the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if somebody can solve
solve the weather problem. I'd really like to request some sunshine. <laughs> I hear you. Well, before before I let you go, plug you know, plug your uh, kennel, plug your training program. Where where can people find you and find more information about Vishla's your chapter training, whatever? So fortunately, I'm a partner and group with uh, many different breeders that are uh, starting up a new alliance with the Versatile Hunting Vizsla Alliance. Uh, we're advocating for developing our future versatile Vizslas. And uh, there's uh, been a long time, 20-something year passion involved by the breeders that are involved in this. And I want to put a plug in for that because I think it's going to be our next best place that we end up going with this breed and uh, bringing it back to its roots and then also bringing new hunters and new NAVDA owners to the table. Yeah. Love it. Well, Bridget, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to to really get on here and, and gripe on a number of different topics with me. So I'm not just the old, old man yelling at the clouds. But, uh, you know, it's an important topic. Like you said, it, it does influence the, the next trainers and the next handlers of the future. But as we establish, it's also an impacting the future dogs as well. So, uh, again, thanks for you coming on and taking your time. And uh, we'll check back next time. You bet. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.